couldn't find my dolly. Oh, that's true. You're right. Please leave that for the after discussion. <laughs> uh, we have one dongle in the house, and um, sometimes it's hooked up to this, my little mixer thing. Sometimes it's hooked up to the printer. Sometimes it's hooked up to the scanner. Your dongle's hooked up to the mixer. Oh, the audio mixer. Got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. The, uh, well, I have two of these uh, modern Apple machines that have nothing but USB-C ports. Yeah, I have yeah. one of those. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a miracle. Getting by with one dongle. Indefinitely. Good morning. I'm here. Yeah, same. I, uh, I'm i not 100%. I have a sort of uh, creeping cold, which I'm not happy about. It seems to mostly exhibit as um, a uh, energy drop and making my eyes burn at 3 o'clock in the morning. Isn't that like the natural state of the Chicagoan? Oh, I don't think so. I'm, I'm, uh, I know I'm supposed to yes and you, but I, I you know what? Half my shade. I mean, you don't need to. I see. Well, half my office has been sick for like the last three months, so you're you're actually not (laughs) wrong. Um, I seem to have dodged to well, knock on uh, this plastic table, but um, I got wood. There we go. Well, again, save it for after the podcast. Um. The uh, uh, flu has been going around the office. And I so far have avoided said flu. Um, it hit Chicago real bad, especially apparently the south side of Chicago. According oh, to the they, maps. Came, they came up with this new, well, they're working on this new thing. They call it cold plasma, uh, which is essentially like a cloud of highly charged particles, but they're not. Charged particles, not like hyper-energized particles. Anyway, it's supposed to like kill all the viruses in the air. So you may one day be working in an office that has, you know, cold plasma misters around and nobody gets the flu. Um, are you describing like office-level chemtrails? Because that's what it sounds well, like Well, I would prefer it if they didn't say that they were doing it and they just flew these... Things that looked like flies, but there were actually mini drones distributing it so that there would be maximum chance for conspiracy theorists to come up with those guys. Well, I'm, ar- I'm already there, man. I don't even need the little drones. What is the, is the cold plasma just like a delivery? What makes it? Uh, I'm, I have a lot of questions about how many ways this technology could go sideways. Um, I mean, you're, t- and also I actually have more basic questions around why offices aren't already pumping some sort of like a feel good juice into the ventilator. Who knows? They might be. I'm yeah. I'm immediately questioning this myself. I'm thinking how many things that we attribute to different places we work were actually, I wouldn't call it chemical warfare, but uh, <laughs> chemical manipulation sort of like a brave new world a little bit or either way, you know, cause you're at the mall, you know, they're pumping Cinnabon uh-huh. stuff the, at you. The anti plasma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of ways we're being manipulated. Why not at the office? 
Well, I just, I'm cold plasma. All right. Uh oh. It's mostly anti aging face treatments called cold plasma online. So this is not equally Googleable. So I'm going to go ahead and close that. I don't need any, uh, <laughs> I don't need to deal with visible signs of aging at this particular moment. Um, okay. It's cold plasma. So it's just, it it hits a bunch of like alarm bell phrases for me. Like, oh, we'll just put it in the air and then it'll kill all the viruses. I know enough about medicine to know normally when we have a thing that kills stuff, it's not super, um, we don't have a lot of very precise ways to kill things. Um, you know what I mean? Like, uh, mm-hmm. like chemotherapy or um, even antibacterial stuff just kills, you know, an entire category of stuff at um, sort of willy nilly. Um, and now, you know, antibiotics, another good example. Like we don't have a lot of things that are like, no, no, this cool. This only kills the bad stuff. Normally that stuff just kills everything. So your immediate, so it's not, so it's not totally conspiratorial, but you're immediately worried about, you know, us tampering wholesale with the natural world around us. Well, it's it's actually... We're going to kill the beneficial viruses that are floating in the air. It's too... I mean, yeah, we could clown on the, um, the this as a bit, which, you know, far be it from me to not clown on a bit. However, there are two real actual con- things that come to mind, or concerns that uh, come straight to my, my forefront. Uh, one is... Uh, yes, this sounds like a sort of a scorched earth situation. Um, and two, this sounds like a delivery mechanism for, a, you know, a temptingly wide variety of things. Um, well, I mean, okay, so our offices are full or, you know, enclosed spaces generally mm-hmm. are full of air delivery systems already. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we live in that world. Um as far as the scorched earth premise, definitely worth consideration, but it is not necessarily analogous because it is similar, right? Um, there is all manner of things that are supposed to purify air. And as far as our current knowledge goes, the air just being air would be the most ideal situation. Now, you know, if this like, charged particles starts killing us somehow in a way we didn't know. You oh, okay. Know, like a poison, <laughs> poisoning us, but I don't, that's not really how it works. I, I found a thing about it. Um, so this is like a fragments of charged airs. Yeah. Okay. So it's not a, all right. I was thinking this was like an aerosoling situation where we're just like loading some virus killing medicine on a more efficient delivery platform. But this is actually, they're just, um, yeah creating electrical discharges in air so there's not like a a substance being being uh, well i well it's creating a substance out of the air it's a, if you will yeah it's a more well it's a more um efficient way of creating sterile air which is so it'd be for like hospitals and stuff but yeah it's it's actually more like uh the uh the like a if in uh who's it alien or one of these shows you know the shows where that you come in through the airlock or like every space movie i guess you come <laughs> in through the airlock and have to go through the like um the part where the something happens 
or if in the in Mass Effect uh, where you have to go gas explodes yeah, around you and exactly or Mass Effect you have to go through it and then I heard on a podcast they pointed out that in Mass Effect it's just a clever way to hide a loading screen. No. Every time oh, you yeah. get, every time you go to that area, you have to walk through the. It's the better thing. than a loading screen. One hundred percent. Yeah, better than the um the elevators that took forty five seconds in that game, which were already also less elegantly hiding loading. All right, so that's okay. I I I've, I rescind my um. Pump me full of cold plasma. Let's do this. <laughs> I. <laughs> I think you're too easily swayed. Like <laughs> it's like I can make carbon monoxide out of air if I use the right processes. You know, I mean, I don't want to switch sides, but you know, it, you, you we are creating a altered substance out of the air at this point. Well, I think it's a good move forward, though. Maybe one day you will only get sick outside the office. This is the um, the razor's edge of wanting uh, moral progress, though, right? Like, it's not... If you get too moralizing, you end up railing against all progress and and, uh, and complaining that things weren't like they used to be. And if you get too hopped up on progress, then all of a sudden you're, you know, uh, building <laughs> death robots at Boston Dynamics or, like having Amazon undercut every other possible business. Um, you know, so you got to, you got to progress good, uh, moral progress, better progress, not at the like, uh, expensive, you know, is this like a, uh, I don't know what kind of chart that is. It strikes mm. me as some kind of chart. A D and D alignment chart or something. You, yeah. You cook it up. Oh, um, I, I had Shannon, <laughs> Shannon and I were discussing, I, I don't remember why at all, the D alignment, uh, last night. Um, it just happens sometimes. Yeah. I, I diagnosed Archer as lawful good and Felix as probably chaotic neutral, but I mean, she's four. So I think all four year olds are chaotic neutral. In, yeah. I wouldn't put her in the evil category. No. It, it's, well, there's, I know some kids who would be in that. I've definitely yeah, met a few kids that are that are um, actively looking to undermine society, um, or the uh, the society as they understand it. So yeah, right. So it's it's a spectrum. I think Felix is is more just like a momentum based sort of being um, in many ways. But I sat there and I was wondering what trying to diagnose Shannon um, and. Mm. Uh, I was like, uh, my diagnosis was she was either lawful good and she thinks she's law, uh, lawful neutral or she's lawful neutral and fancies herself lawful good. Um, so she didn't take kindly to my sort of main thesis being that she didn't uh, have a good idea of what she was. Um, <laughs> well, I think we should all be open to the idea that we hold an idea of ourselves and we somehow think it's divorced from what we actually do. Actually, this is a really good point, not to make it something more real, but no, <clears throat> I, I run into this a lot from separate conversations, which is that we somehow imagine we are a thing, right? And then we do a bunch of stuff that sometimes aligns with what we are and sometimes doesn't. And we're like, when when it doesn't, we have various reactions like, oh, I hope they don't think I'm like that or, oh, they, you know, that's not what I'm about, blah, 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 blah. But it's a, it's a 
defensive and unproductive way to look at it. Like what we think we are is what we want to be. And what we are doing is who we actually are, right? And so it makes you sort of absorb the embarrassment of doing stupid stuff or being a way you don't want to be and just being like, okay, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. If I want to be somebody else or if I want to be the thing I imagine I am, then I just have to behave differently going forward into the future. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just weird because we think of it backwards. You know, we really believe ourselves to be the thing we want to be. We really think we are whatever lawful good in some cases and we're not, but it's okay. You just have to know that that's what you want to be. And so don't freak out when you're not, or don't defend the fact that there's all these excuses why you did that this time. It's like, okay, well that's who you are. Just like if you really want to be some a different way, like go for it. So, Yes, the uh, this reminds me this this exact thing happened. Um, the idea of like my self concept being different than what I actually am, or uh, my what I, my ability to contextualize my actual actions to re- reinforce my self concept instead of you know in situations where they might otherwise uh, be evidence to the contrary. Um, she, I pulled up the official alignment quiz which is a kind of interesting personality quiz that is actually on the wizards of the coast website um it goes for a while and some of it are some of the questions are like universally applicable like personality test questions and some of them are like you've been given poison to assassinate the king (laughs) kind of stuff and uh (laughs) well you never know yeah and and uh so i mean you're supposed to use it for your you know your D &D character but they're, they're they're obviously setting it up to be um you know, it, like a lot of the D and D stuff, like we're way more thoughtful than it probably uh, can, needs to can be. Can I can I like just throw out real quick what uh-huh. we're talking about, which is that there's <laughs> yeah. a scale um, when you're playing this role playing game. It's you, a you have to three decide. by three grid. Yeah, it's an easy way to sort of just understand your character's motivation. So if you don't play RPGs, think of it like uh, fictional story characters in a book or something. They, you have to be able to understand generally what this character's motivation or angle is so that, you know, you just sort of follow what they would do in any given situation instead of just, you know, making it up all the time or, you know, being inconsistent. So you have two lines. You're either evil, neutral, or good. And then you're either chaotic, neutral, or lawful. And then you combine those in every different way you can chaotic good lawful neutral lawful evil would be like a cop <laughs> or bad cop lawful. Uh, no. chaotic evil is lawful. like the joker lawful good is like i don't know uh, lawful good King is like Arthur. superman yeah there you go and law and uh, chaotic good is like uh um batman a trickster yeah uh, certain, I, certain. No, 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 no. no Batman like, is lawful neutral. Okay? Yeah, you're right. He wants the law, but he is sort of uh, agnostic as to how that's accomplished. Chaotic good is like uh, almost no. Han Solo is not chaotic good. He uh, Wolverine maybe. Han Solo is a straight neutral, neutral. Yeah, maybe skewed good at the end. 
there, there, there you go. It's a remarkably universally applicable system. You all can right. apply it to all so, sorts of different licensed properties. And so your own background. <laughs> so then, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, you know, it's fine. That, that was probably uh, very helpful. I always forget to do that. Um, so uh, I'm asking you these questions, and one of the questions is something along the lines of: Would you betray your friend, or like, if you if you had to like testify against your friend, or betray? Well, you know, something about betrayal and 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 friend, and you know, the questions leave a lot of room for interpretation normally. Um, and then the answers are, there's four answers to all of these. And so they, they range from like, um, no, the, 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 um, you know, I, I, I would definitely do this like wacky thing, or I would do it if the reward was great enough, or I wouldn't do it, but I'd be sorely tempted, or I would never do that basically. Well, you know, and there, there's a, right. like a ton more nuance than that. But Shannon's reaction when I asked that question was, um, or maybe it was being betrayed by a friend. But point being, she her immediate uh, reaction was to recontextualize the friend. Like basically said, "Well, no, not that that friend. You know, like not that, not those kind of friends." Like create a situation in which her answer made sense with her perceived person. Right where she, I was like, okay, this is actually saying a lot about you about you because you are. Um, if after the fact redefining whether this person was a good friend of yours as con- as is convenient for you basically um like move the goalpost just a little bit to to fit around what you're comfortable answering um and that yeah that's exactly what i'm talking about yeah so um she she took the whole quiz uh and she came out a true neutral 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 middle of the graph oh which is amazing. I didn't even occur to me. I've never at once in all of the times I've had some D and D alignment, you know, like goof going on, uh, or even played D and D never once have I ever heard of anyone being true neutral. It's like, you forget that there's a middle to the graph. Um, cause it's like, you know, neutral, neutral, eh. but there you go. <laughs> usually they're, usually they're characters who don't, uh, blend well in groups because they don't have any specific pushing motivation. They, they tend to be sort of focused on whatever their own little personal bonds or whatever are. Uh So unless you can tie that, their self interest into the group, they, they're hard to like wrangle in. I'm not saying this is Shannon. I'm just saying like, no, that actually like game. That that checks out. That comports with like her enneagram and stuff um, about like the way that she operates in general. Um, so there you go. I, I should do the alignment thing and let you know what I come up with. Now, this whole time we were making up characters. We could have just played ourselves. Mm, <laughs> we did play ourselves. Um, we're the, so I have a good phrase that um, that Shannon pulled from some book a long time ago, and I may have said it on the podcast before. Um, but it is, I think about it all the time. It is, uh, your wardrobe is what you wear. Um, have I ever said that? No, I so haven't heard it. The, the, the gist of it being that you can own, and this is, was actually, you know, literally from a book about like redefining your wardrobe, but, um, you can have all sorts of clothes in your closet. Um, and you can go to the store and fancy yourself a kind of person who's going to get really into, you know, I don't know, red pants 
you buy those red pants and take them home. But like, if you were to put a chart together of of what you wore over the past month, what that is your wardrobe. Like, if you mm-hmm. if you go back to the same, you know, if you're trying to dress nicer, but in reality you dress nicer like once a week, and the rest of the time you're wearing your you know sweatpants or whatever. Um, that's your wardrobe, um, regardless of what the contents of your closet is or what you've spent your money. My on. closet is full end to end with red pants that I never wear. I knew it's it. It's embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> no, that's like totally it. I mean, it's not even an analogy. It's just a little version of the same exact thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I use it for so many different things. Like wardrobe is what you wear. Like uh, you buy elect- like exercise equipment and it just sits around. Or like, uh, you know, for a long time, I, we're, we've gotten way better since Archer's, like, Archer's crossed some sort of, like, child Rubicon where he is, um, like, all vi- all board games are clicking with him or we're playing a ton of board games. But for a long time, we just had a board game cabinet closet that, like, oh, it's a huge amount of, like, you know, a few dozen board games. But wardrobe is what you wear. We were not board game family. I just was carrying around a lot of board games, and we'd play one every month or two. So like, yes. Well, I mean, I'm not going to judge you on how many board games you play, but I mean, if if you were identifying as that, but never engaging in it, yes, I could see that. Yeah, that's the more universally applicable way to put it, right? It's like the way you identify uh, only is goes as far as what you, what your actual actions are. <coughs> Oops, sorry. Yeah, <coughs> it's weird because it's a pretty common thought. In general, you know, advice, um, which is, you might say, walk the walk or whatever. But I think it's missing the more subtle point, which is that it the default is us trying to, say, you're trying to walk the walk, right? But you still default to see yourself as the thing that you want to be in your head. And that sometimes you're walking the walk more than others. I mean, that it's really more that whatever you are at that moment is the truth. And that it may, yeah, you just got to accept it. And it's like totally fine. (laughs) Yeah. It makes you more at peace and it actually lets you, it opens you up to actually improving more rapidly instead of constantly wasting the time of making defenses to yourself or to others. Usually it's even to yourself, right? I'm not saying being defensive. Well, that's like the most, uh, in the most, I think, healthy way to go about. So you, you're, you're whoever, and you're, uh, you know, at some point trying to contextualize or get perspective or reflect on some or all portions of how your life actually goes um, I use the bullet journal for this. Like, there's a page in my bullet journal where I, it, it's, I'm behind, uh, you know, continually. But it's supposed to be um, tracking how often I. I used to do it how often I cook, but I've actually gotten to the point where I'm cooking and so often that it's not like a special event anymore. So I dropped off on that, which I feel like is sort of a success in a weird way. But like, you know, there's a page that tracks movies that I see and a page that tracks. Uh, what I was playing with video games that month and or books that I read or whatever. And so the first step, you know, the, what the first step to like decompressing 
your like awareness that you're not where you'd want to be in whatever way that you uh, self-identify is to like back up and, and contextualize that information, at least for me, right. To like reflect on what's actually going on. Um, but then at that point, yes, you're the way that you describe it, I think is the ideal healthiest way to, to absorb that information, which is to say like, all right, I don't line up with what I thought I was, but I am free to just reflect on that and use it to be a different person if I want to be, or to like free myself of this like comprehension of myself. So like either I'm going to start playing board games because I'm now like aware at like a quantifiable level that I'm not using this board game closet and I could be enjoying it a lot more. Or you can use that information to say like, Time to get rid of 25 board games, and I'm going to have so much closet space because <laughs> I have, like... I and have not a, spend more money, Right. Like, doing something to, like, relieve that um, inconsistency, uh, definitely, like, you know, because I feel like the worst uh, place you can land is, is just in the middle where you sort of generate... Uh, you know, continual frustration that you're you're not who you say you want to be, but you're also not like moving. You're not either accepting that as just part of yourself or moving toward changing it. Yeah, it's a mental drag and a like practical drag. Like the clothes thing, I have to do it every time. Like I've got to like lean cramp out. It's like I just think. All right, I have all this stuff that I'm thinking, oh, well, there's a specific circumstance in which this will be useful. Uh-huh. And and then I'm like, well, and all it takes is to think, all right, if I was doing something right now and this was happening, would I do this? And I'm like, yes or no? And I'm like, well, if it's no, like, and I'm fine with that, why am I wasting all of my mental powers to justify why this could be a thing? It's just like, I don't know. You don't. Nobody wants to give up on something, uh, but it's like we just don't have that much time, and there's an infinite things to do. So yeah, and, uh, giving up on it is is the, like it, even using that terminology assumes that there was some sort of like external expectation, uh, and like if there wasn't, and it's just up to you, and you can do whatever, uh, then you don't have to think of it as getting up. Like I. Uh, we used to really we we used to really fancy uh, our big giant book sh- uh, shelf and like every place we move we packed the bookshelf um, and we finally uh, er, and like we have I would say like two full width uh, IKEA style it's not like the the cheapest IKEA but you know one of the medium medium tier IKEA bookshelf situations two of those and then one narrow one so probably seven eight feet wide you know of bookshelf and like uh it used to be like edge to edge and books there wasn't enough room for everything and books stacked over the shelf like used bookstore style and um we just didn't like i actually looked at my bullet journal and i read like three books last year or something crazy low and um we finally went through the bookshelf and uh called i would say probably half of the books. Um, they're in, we donated some, some other ones got traded in the rest are in storage, but like there is all, there's a bunch of room to breathe on the bookshelf and a bookshelf in your living room looks a lot more intentional. If every shelf isn't, you know, just vertical books end to end. Um, and like, yeah, that took some doing and it took some, uh, 
some of us admitting that we weren't uh, by the numbers book people. Um, so we kept the ones that like really meant something to us, but like, or, you know, it, 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 and weren't that strict about it really. Like it wasn't hard at all to move half those books. And I couldn't name, I honestly looking at it now, couldn't name you a single book that I removed from the shelf. Um, but it's just, yeah, another example of that. Um, I've, I've gone the opposite way with books. I built a room that has a bookshelf from end to end. So now there's infinite room for books. Hey, I think books, book quantities is more about (laughs) ratio of shelf to book than it is like raw book. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's books are interesting. Like I, there aren't, I'll put it this way. There aren't a lot of novels on the shelf because those are sort of a, you know, you might read it once or read it again later. It's more like building a library that you can peruse and reference or engage in when you want to, right? That's the sort of thing I'm trying to build with my bookshelf. That is it. That is interesting because I want to, you know, I have a handful of books like that that I pull down to glance at a thing. I mean, we have our cookbooks kind of in a separate place. Those are obviously a direct reference. Why do we, I guess... We don't see those as books. I don't know if they are. I'm not sure. They, honestly, it's just a quantity. It's, it's a size issue. The cookbooks tend to be big and chunky. <laughs> like they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're in a hutch somewhere. They're always yeah. in a hutch. Ours are ours glass. are in a in a, a different IKEA thing in the closet for exactly that reason. And also, there we have a fair amount of cookbooks. Um, but like, yeah, I'm I'm I've always treated a bookshelf as this like cumulative experience log where you want your bookshelf to reflect all of these different phases that you went through where it's like, Oh, at one point I got super into, you know, I read all of the dark tower series. So those are going up there. It's almost like an achievement log. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. But, and I, yeah. Go, well, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, just like that, that eventually you have to like get real about how many of those achievements really still mean something to you and like disconnect from the idea of like every book that you've ever read being up there is kind of like a ta-da, look, I read it sort of thing, especially if it's been realistically 15, 20 years. Yeah, that's um, like my Audible account, and I'm fine with that because, you know, I drive quite a bit. So um, most of my novels are in a long list in my Audible account, and if all of those were on a bookshelf, I'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah, I'm. am I going to reread uh, one Q eighty four again? No, literally never. It was good though. Um, there's a million books like that. I'm actually looking at that one. It is on the bookshelf mostly because it's very pretty. It's a Murakami book. It's nice. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's a uh, by a um a, one of the two men named, with the surname Murakami that write books. One time I bought the wrong Murakami's book and it was good. I didn't realize until afterwards that it was not uh, a book by the well known author. It was by another guy. Haruki Murakami is this guy. That um, sounds super sketchy. Like, that sounds like I can name myself a famous person's name and just start putting stuff out. <laughs> uh, well, it, it honestly, it might just be a relatively common Japanese surname. He wrote the Wind Up Bird Chronicle. If you ever heard, that feels like a book that Abigail would have read. That sounds familiar. All right, it's very good. Uh, it's very uh, reflective. It's a good book for reading and then staring out of your window in silence for 30 minutes. If you're into, if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> Which is, you normally just stare out of your window in silence for 30 minutes anyway. So mm-hmm. this was a good companion for your 
sort of ennui. Ennui. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very ennui heavy sort of. Um, most of his books are of that ilk. Um. Let's see. I mean, I also did this with my wardrobe. I, the wardrobe is the standard, I think, uh, place. A lot of people do this sort of like, am I the actual alignment that I that I test as on the chart sort of work? Um, because it is, you know, literally things you're putting on your body. <laughs> and well, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a it's a signal to everyone, those who you talk to or don't talk to or work with or don't work with anyone who's ever seen you. It is the besides what you're wearing, you know, also how you're groomed or whatever. Mm-hmm. It is the most automatic and widespread version of you know who you quote unquote are. Yeah, and and the so the it's it, that makes it I think uh, where a lot of these the this starts and also one of the more difficult places to do something about because uh, you know you, you, it, it takes it takes some some doing to change that level of, of your self-identification, I think. Um, I've done it in phases. Have you ever done the backwards hanger thing? Yeah, I I have done that before. Oh, okay, I've done the backwards hanger thing a bunch of that, and this is for the reader's uh, edification. That, uh, you hang all your hanging clothes with the hangers facing backwards, and then as you wear things, take them down, hang them back up, regular type, and then after some set period of time, you get real about any clothes that are still hanging backwards. Because um, you ain't wearing those. They're not actually part of your wardrobe. Nope. They're a separate sort of monument to your uh, sort of determined self-identity. Yeah, your your hypothetical outings that you were going to dress nicer <laughs> for. Um, yeah, I've done that before. I've, call, I've called T-shirts down uh, relentlessly to the point where um, I, I have 10 of the same white V-neck shirt. Um <laughs> And I, I haven't gone full uh, uh, axe murderer with it, but like I uh, try this, dude. This really helped me because I uh-huh. did this exact same thing, which is all the stuff. Some stuff I'm like, all right, this get out of here. But then a lot of the stuff, it's like maybe I, you know, I've just been putting off doing this because I really want to do this. I'm like, well. I put it in a box or something. Mm, like I'll put out, it out of out the boxing. way. Yeah, I'll just like get it out so I can't see it anymore. And then, yes, of course, in a month, I don't remember any of it ever existed, and I'm totally fine. Yep. Uh, we we in a bigger <laughs> sense, I still have a couple of t-shirts, but I, I literally have like mm, three, I think, that I wear that aren't uh, part of the ten. Um, the uh, but we did that with our apartment. I may have talked about that on said podcast earlier this year. We did a, a sort of apartment culling thing. Oh from, yeah, yeah, you did talk yeah, about. it. We outboxed a tremendous amount of stuff. I brought mm, a half dozen boxes of sundries to uh, donate, um, and it felt great. I don't. I couldn't name uh, anything. <laughs> that oh, we, so you donated yeah. it? No, yes. I did a thing where I took it to a vacant lot and like burned it all. While chanting uh, these out of these ancient scripts carved on metal tablets. Okay, and metal tablets. I, like it a, sounded way like cooler. Joseph if they Smith were metal sort tablets. of Angel Maroni situation. <laughs> they were just uh, a rusted door that fell off a trash can. But you know, I pretended. Okay, I thought you were gonna go. Um, thought you were gonna go like outsider art with it. You know, they took everything and created a sort of Banksy uh, sculpture. Yeah, yeah. Um. 
Sure. Yeah, I called it pile of ash. Pile of. Great. That, uh, wait, did you burn it and call it pile of ash, or you made a sculpture and called it pile of ash and then burned it? Oh, that'd be way cooler. Yeah. So that one. Mm-hmm. Cool. Have you ever done the alignment thing? Do you have so any I idea totally where did. you where you went? Uh, I haven't done it. My vision of myself is neutral good, but yeah. there's no telling where it skews. I don't think a lot of us are truly evil or lawful. I would say that the the D and D one might actually there. I mean, we'll find out. If we all take it and we all run as neutral, then uh, I w- this will prove out. But, like, given that there are questions about, like, assassinating royalty um, that I doubt <laughs> most people are going to just answer, you kind of have to, like, play within the rules of it being for a and d character. Um, because if you're like, no, I wouldn't kill someone, then, like, hey, it's, a, it's supposed to be a and d quiz. You can't just, like, do that right. or you're you going to land trans- in neutral. You, you can yeah. transfer that to an imagined situation where, like, would you take advantage of someone else maybe not necessarily truthfully to take their position or something. Yeah, you know I mean, I mean like, there there are a fair amount of questions that are directly around how you treat how you behave with authority that you may not agree with that I think do work um in a in a I, general uh, sense. I would okay, I used to be I would have described myself as lawful back in the day, but this is also weird because Saying lawful in D&D means, like, there's some obvious objective thing that would be... No, actually, they do a pretty good job. You follow the law, whatever the law is, but... Right, that's the yeah, thing. I'm, yeah. Is there, yeah. There's, there's actually two sort of, like, different lawful answers to a lot of the questions pertaining to the law. One is that, like, it basically either law is law and should be followed because it's law, or, like it is convenient that law lines up with the thing that I have decided is correct in this situation. You know, so there's two, and, and I think that's how it plays out in real life. A lot yeah, of the I'm time. I'm hundred percent not going to fall on the lawful there's, situation. There's one that's point. like, um, it, I forget. It's like you've been, uh, uh, accidentally committed a crime. And one of the options is to say, to turn yourself in because the most important thing is the, uh, the, um, the most important principle is that of the rule of law and you're willing to sacrifice yourself in order to uphold the rule of law. And, um, you know, so like that's that sort of like rule of law over everything, self sacrificial thing, um, is, is not the same as being cool with the law and working within it to a, you know, some degree. (laughs) Um, so yeah, we should both do that quiz and come back next All right. time. You can send it to me. Yeah, I'll it's do just it. I, I googled official D and D alignment quiz. It's just like on the wizard's site. Um, I'll send it to you. All right. Um, as far as it, as far as that goes, though, I have a advice. So okay. with my D and D related, but also related to my completely fabricated seance of burning ashes I did with my extra clothes. Right. I mean, I, I'm, I mentally did that, but I didn't actually do it. Um, I sustained a injury to my palm the okay. other day um, where, so I have two animals now, a large dog and a tiny cat. And the cat likes to sleep on my chest right up under my beard. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just does. 
and uh, the dog will sleep at the foot of the bed. Well, the dog took one night to howling in his sleep, and I know this because when I shot awake, he was dead asleep, but he was clearly howling out loud. Mm. So the cat believed its end was upon it, and so <laughs> it flew off my chest. So I just sort of wake up to like, and then, and then I was like, what's happening? And I was like, ah, my hand. And I looked, and in the dark, I was like, am I bleeding? So I turned on the light, and like I have, a, I had like a a good two inch gash down the middle of my palm that Ooh. was legit bleeding. It was deep cut, whatever. Um, and then I was like, Ugh. so I cleaned it up and whatever, and I tried to go back to bed. But a couple of days later, like it was, it was still hurting, and it started to look like worse. So I was like, oh crap, I've got like some kind of deadly cat disease so i put antibiotics on it and i tried to wrap it up but it's like you can't put a band-aid on it and then you try to wrap it and your hands all bendy so it was a nightmare i'm okay i'm alive looks like it's healed mostly now but the most important takeaway Uh besides anything else you can think of is Uh if you're doing a ritual or something and you're supposed to get blood everything seems to prescribe Cutting your palm with the knife and squeezing the blood out. It's just stupid. Don't ever cut your palm for a ritual. Like, it's the worst kind of wound, and it's pointless because you've got blood all over the rest of your body. Like, prick your thumb or something. Just, I, I have no idea why they're doing that. I think that, I think it's probably because the squeezing the blood out part looks cool. Uh, and also, it's probably easier to, like, uh, to fake in movies. Uh, they land. just put a packet of yeah it's in your hand. pretty easy to hide back of blood in your hand squib in your hand uh yeah it's the well, it's, I'm onto it's, them. it's the front of your hand it's got some of the most nerve endings on your entire body like maybe don't cut one of the like four or five places on your body that's like loaded with nerve endings yeah it's like here's all your nerves here's where you're gonna have to use everything all day long and bend back and forth and yeah go just, ahead and Mess that up as good as you can. Slice your uh, outside of your elbow or something, like someplace that's like short <laughs> on love, flesh. <laughs> I love the dramaticness of that, like the vic, you know, some dramatic scene where the victim's tied up and they might not save them in time and the <laughs> evil characters hovering above them chant something with a jeweled knife above their head and then just sort of like. Reaches around. Nick, yeah, <laughs> yeah, nicks the outside of their elbow and, like, awkwardly tries to, like, push the <laughs> blood out the cut area. Hold on. Oh, Zakal is here. Hold on. I got it. Uh, well, and, and they cut away. All of these shows cut away conveniently before the kids who just signed to the pact or the evil warlord or whatever spends 20 minutes going, ah, ah, ah. I've even seen a show... Where like off like offhandedly they wrap something around their hand, you know, like a bandage wrap or something. Uh-huh. I'm just like, I'm all, I'm you know I'm all down with made up magic, but I'm just I just don't believe that the important prescriptive part of that spell was that it had to be palm blood. I mean, fantasy in general assumes the lack of uh, uh, infection, <laughs> like. You know, yeah, like that's how so many people died. 
right? Like it, if you're, it, it, I think it goes runs the full gamut from like Game of Thrones or something or Lord of the Rings, where they're like in a huge sword fight and like they end up with some ace rap on later, and then they're good the next day. To on the other end of the spectrum, you have like a John Steinbeck story where. Uh, it's the tale of a, a man who like is doing well until he like trips <laughs> and then he gets yeah. a scratch that like turns gangrenous and then he dies in the forest from <laughs> his leg falling off well, or something. I will say that the book series Game of Thrones is notorious for doing stuff like that. It's like over grit. It's like. Yeah, well, he was fine until his wound got infected. And then the doctors, like, have these insane remedies that usually doctors. kill the people. Yeah. yeah, like, they're like, yes, um, stuff fire root in it. And then the person just screams until they die instead of dying of <laughs> it's the been disease. pretty fun. Expl- enough. Well, no, I'm going to say it actually has been uh, legitimately fun. I was about to change my angle there, but explaining Archer... Uh, we were in the car one day describing different types of doctors. I'm quizzing the kids, like, what do you think a podiatrist does? Blah, blah, blah. And realizing that literally every type of doctor specialty is a 20th century, uh, you know, uh, invention uh, based on us knowing how a body actually works for the first time in all human history. <laughs> <laughs> and then, him, you know, explaining leeches and bleeding and how we thought that everything was a humor balance. And that was not that long ago, like... You know, 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Uh, so, yeah. I have some questions um, <laughs> about your story, if yeah. that's okay. Um, number, I, I, I guess not necessarily questions. Some One overarching comment. I'll reduce it down to one overarching comment, Please which do. is that um, I personally have a hard time uh, with the just even the like scenario at hand, because as we've established did not grow up with pets um i took care of a cat who had a litter of kittens on my front porch when i was in college um and you know so i put food out for the cat and eventually the cat came back and had kittens on my front porch but i have never lived in a house with a pet uh in it uh (laughs) and as such the I one thing I rarely consider is the prospect uh, or the concept of like sleeping with animals in my bed, animal mm-hmm. an animal a non human in my bed. <laughs> well, they don't really consider themselves non human, so we'll just start out with that. Okay, but um, yeah, some people don't let their animals sleep in their bed, and uh, some people do. I think. So I've seen that there's sort of two ways that this goes, if I can be drastically oversimplifying. Um, so there's people who just don't sleep well with the animal in the bed or, you know, there's problems or whatever. And so they're like, look, you're not you're not sleeping in the bed. You know, I need this space. And then there's people who have some kind of idea that it is, like the rule of the universe that animals shall not sleep in a bed. Like, you know, that sort of the parent who has a lot of rules because they make sense and that's how things should be, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a lot more open-ended than that. You can decide to, you cannot decide to, pluses and minuses on everything. There's no reason that you have to or not have to. 
So, um, yeah, animals are companions. Okay, that's generally why you should have them, or people have them, right? Uh, dogs, well, actually, cats too. So, um, so it's actually quite sweet. They want to be around you. They want to, you know, gather together. They see you as a pack, and I think that's what a lot of you know the mental and physical benefit of having an animal is. So, yeah, it's just like, you know, like a kid wanting to sleep with you, except it's a little less annoying because <laughs> they don't tend to take up as much space and you can just sort of like train them. Animals are – dogs are more trainable than kids in that sense. Mm, yeah, I, I uh, can't The see- cat's just tiny oh. and um, warm and it – Buzzes pleasantly. They purr, basically. But I know we don't have to explain cat. Purring. I mean, I don't know. I was a buzz. People don't usually say buzzing, so it sounded like something was wrong with it. But um, it yeah, rattles. no. I mean, it's like a warm thing that wants to cuddle up with you. It, I mean, it's hard to pu- pu- to point out anything bad unless you happen to be terribly allergic to cats or something. I certainly Or am. like there's a kerfuffle at night and it tears you up and runs off. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I, my children have not as of yet torn any two-inch gashes in me. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I, I'm certainly not an indictment uh, on or anything of this happening. It's just I was observing as you were telling the story that like I, I – it just I haven't even considered the notion – in a long time, you know, that people, you know, there are people who own large dogs and then the dog just like sleeps next to them like a person. What do in the bed? Um, well, that's usually what happens when I get up. If Abigail's still in bed, that dog will immediately curl all the way up next to her as far as it can. And that's what maybe like her top favorite thing the dog does, which is it's just a companion there for you. That's such like that that is so wild to me <laughs> it's it's when i really think about the idea of a large dog being in my bed it's just so such a like weird pivot yeah um, i suppose it it does seem weird like it, w- w- to imagine but as with most things that aren't totally insane it it just is like oh okay it's normal now. Yeah, you know? it's not. It's not weird to uh, imagine it happening somewhere. It's just a scenario that I that is so bizarre for me to think of playing out in my house and home. I wonder how often. I wonder. My dad and mom both had pets growing up, and um, to ha- hear them say it, they just decided that a pet would be too much on top of you know ch- all the children, which is very reasonable. But I often wonder how different my um, sort of entire deal would be if I had grown up with a dog, um, or or a cat, but probably I don't a dog. know. I mean, my kids don't make that big a deal of it. I guess they just see it as normal. He's like yeah. a less present brother. You know, he's not around when we do everything, but he's there a lot of the time. Yeah, I've gotten to the point where, like, I um, you know, we're fairly certain she's still asleep, so I can say we're fairly certain we're going to get a. Uh, cat when, when actually this next place uh oh i'm saying that and realizing You're not allowed to talk yeah, about well i'm realizing the next place that we're about to go um provided their application goes through is a very nice place but the one thing that it doesn't allow is pets 
Um, oh, so we, well. we we are going to be pushing that uh, down the road a, a little while. Um, but I do want eventually. I think it sure, sure won't hurt for my children to get us to a slightly older and less destructive age. Um, but I do want to include that experience in their um, in their childhood. Uh, in a way that it was not in mine, because I'm just curious. It's 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 weird because it's not a thing that I sometimes had. It's a thing that like never happened for me. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's a. I I still think about it when I am in my you know weird existential moods. I just think about animal, very disparate animal species, like shacking up together and like like symbiosis is generally restricted to like you know weird parasitism that evolved over time or something and like the fish that clean other fish remoras yeah or yeah uh, yeah no we're like beyond that it's it's really crazy to think you know we're these animals that like sort of house up other animals and make them part of our group. It's just, it's like seeing the chicken think it's a dog, except the dog thinks it's a human. It's, it's a, it's amusing. I think in a good way though. And we've, we spent thousands of years uh, breeding very scary, very scary big animals into very small, non, non dangerous, (laughs) arguably (laughs) non dangerous, but still capable of ripping your hand up. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I'm not a very sympathetic dog lover like i like dogs for like i wouldn't have one otherwise but i'm not like that gushing over them like they're a child and i understand the instinct to do so right but i don't like it's very separate in my mind you know they're very separate things but the one thing i give dogs specifically and the credit i give them um is that we bred them to basically be incomplete without human interaction in a way. I mean, they're fine without humans, but they're literally bred to be happier interacting with us. And so I do feel a bit of a, uh, a species responsibility to be like, all right, you're acting like an idiot, but I mean, my species made you this way. <laughs> I, as a human representative, yeah, <laughs> uh, sort of uh, apologize. Uh, take, no, I mean, like, I take responsibility. Yeah, proxy responsibility for the human race for doing this to you. Yeah, dog. I'm like, I'll, I'll do my part to not totally uh, uh, toss you aside when you want human interaction. Because I'm, I'm sorry that you were bred to kill weasels 300 years ago. And no, they no, they're bred to kill weasels and then bring them to a human and be like, "Look at how good I did." So like they're still killing weasels and then like nobody cares and they just mope around. Well, your dog's killing weasels in his sleep and freaking your cat out. <laughs> My dog killed a squirrel. The greatest day ever. You, he really did. I, I thought- don't know how he did it, but he did it. Are you sure that the cat didn't kill the squirrel? all kinds of stuff. I don't let the cat out yet. Oh, okay. I was going to say, it's, I'm, I'm aware that cats are, will, uh, I've been told that cats will kill small animals and then bring them to you. Uh, oh, yeah. That's sort of more of, I think, more of a, like a provider, like, look, I'm providing for the, you know, din or whatever that it yeah, is. Yeah, well, like I'm not thing. sure why they're doing it. Okay. It seems very much like. Uh, a show of their worth or maybe like a trade, like I feed them, they feed me. I don't know what they do. Oh, yeah, it's more of a peer-to-peer sort of relationship. 
Dog, I dogs and do cats, that. you know what I mean? Uh, uh. What? No, I don't get it. Uh, like, uh, we're, 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 we've gone straight into like, dogs are like this, but cats are like that, sort of. Oh, well, I say that a lot. And try to make the same joke, so I accept it. Okay. I go, it's like dogs and cats, and then Abigail just rolls her eyes at me and walks off. Mm-hmm. Goes back to bed with the dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>